Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Robert Benson is a spiritual writer and retreat leader. He's written a number of books. In his book, Living Prayer, he writes about a time when he and his daughter were kneeling at the railing at their church preparing to receive Holy Communion. And he said his daughter crossed her hands, palms up, as she had been taught to receive the bread. He did the same. The pastor came along, offering the bread to each of them. Robert says when he got to me, he said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. and Put it in my hand. And then this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Put it in my hand. He said, then he moved to my daughter. And he said to her, as he took the bread and placed it in her hand, this is a gift for you from Jesus. And then with the cup, he said, this is a gift so that you might remember Jesus loves you forever. And Benson says that he listened to those he thought to himself, they say nicer things to the children at the table. (laughs) He writes about his experience of Eucharist or Holy Communion in the church, the body of Christ. He reflects on the fourfold motion that we remember every time we offer communion as we pray prayer of consecration, as we remember how Jesus met with the disciples on the last night. He was participating with them, hoping they might remember all that He had been about. As we pray, we talk about Him taking the bread, blessing the bread, breaking the bread, and giving the bread. And Benson says this is the core of the actions in Holy Communion, but we should also think of it as the core of our life and the dynamic of our life with Jesus Christ. He writes about it in this way. He says, I have always enjoyed the part of the prayer that suggests to us that we are taken by God, that we are chosen. I am happy, too, to think about being blessed by God as well. The notion of God being so taken with me that I've been given gifts and graces and a place to belong only to me seems so fine and good. 
and I particularly enjoy the part about being shared. It seems perfectly fine to me that something of who I am can be valuable and useful and meaningful to God and to others in some way. But then he writes this. It is the broken part that I do not care for very much. It is the broken part, however, that makes everything else about the Eucharist worth making over. The lesson is that Jesus of Nazareth, the most chosen and most blessed and most shared of us all, was also the most broken of us all. In our passage today, Jesus continues this conversation with those who might listen or follow. And I say might because as you read through this chapter 6 in John, there's a lot of consternation. There's quite a bit of struggle of people hearing what Jesus is saying and wondering if they can believe, if they can follow, if they can even comprehend or understand what he's talking about. In this sixth chapter of John, he talks a lot about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and how this is the bread of heaven and this is the living bread that leads to eternal life. But imagine if you were hearing this person for the first time. If you listen to what he says as he emphasizes this so much, And if you begin to take him literally, you might think he's crazy because it sounds like he's talking about cannibalism for sure. And that's a struggle, as you might imagine, for people who are listening and wondering what he's saying and what he means. John records that those who are listening dispute among themselves. In verse 52, he says the question is, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can that be? How can we make sense of that? But if you read through the whole Gospel of John, you begin to see a pattern. Think about the story that you might be familiar with back in chapter 3 where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus about new life and being born again. And Nicodemus is struggling in the same way these people are and says, how can that be? Can I enter my mother's womb a second time? How can I be born again once I've grown old? He's not understanding that Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth. And it leads to confusion. As we read through John, we see those who are questioning Jesus are taking Him literally when He's speaking symbolically or spiritually, if you will. It's easier to see maybe over in chapter 8. Jesus uses a different image or a different metaphor, if you will. In verse 12, He's speaking to A crowd who's gathered and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that one's easier to take poetically or symbolically, is it not? None of us think once we commit to Jesus that the sun will never go down. We know he's speaking about something bigger than just literal light. But so often, when Jesus uses symbolism, when He's talking poetically or metaphorically, people take Him literally in the Gospel of John, and that leads to their confusion. 
And because some Christians believe that Holy Communion, when we take bread and juice, is literal body and blood, it's hard for those, particularly those outside the Christian family, to comprehend what we're doing and what it means and why we're participating in such a ritual. But as United Methodists, we take what Jesus says symbolically or spiritually rather than literally. We say that what He's talking about when He uses these images like the bread as my body or the juice as my blood or it talks about being living water or the light of the world, we understand that He's using things we all know about, common everyday experiences to point us to something beyond those common and everyday experiences to point us through the physical to the spiritual so it's important for us to ask what is jesus pointing to when he uses the image of body and blood after all we only read seven verses today and eight times he made these kinds of references he obviously wants us to pay attention to what this is all about, what he's trying to say as he speaks in this way. Those who are listening think he's literal, so they ask, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Even though Jesus knows their misunderstanding, he goes ahead and gives them this response, starting in verse 53. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. So there's just three verses, verse 53 through 56, where he says it over and over again. But you can tell he means it not literally because he's talking to people who are alive and he says, unless you believe in me and we know they don't yet, then you have no life in you. But they're obviously alive. They're part of the conversation. So he must be pointing to something beyond physical life. When he gets down to verse 56, he talks about that what he means here is if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you abide in me. You abide in me. That is a relationship. That is a connection with Jesus that he's talking about. So to eat and drink of Jesus is, is to be in relationship with or enter into his life or his way of life. He further elaborates in the very next verse, verse 57, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. He's pointing out that God has given him life, that God as Father and Creator has given, his, given him life and sent him to us so that we might have life. But obviously not just physical life, but more than that, a spiritual life, an abundant life. And Jesus goes so far as to talk about it as eternal life. He is saying that God is reaching out to each one of us. That God is trying to reach out through Jesus to every one of us. The good news says and proclaims that God has sent Jesus to reveal to us 
the way to life. The way to life. John's Gospel points out that in Jesus we get sort of a divine taste of what's to come. We get a taste of the divine life, a life lived in communion with God in terms of intimacy with God. You can remember probably in that same conversation that I referred to earlier that comes from John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Toward the end of that, there's this important phrase, for God so loved the world that He gave or sent His only Son. God is reaching out to us in Jesus. God is coming to us god is giving of god's self to us through jesus christ in the united methodist communion liturgy the one we use here every month on that first sunday when we celebrate communion we talk about this during the prayer of consecration see if this sounds familiar we say and so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in jesus christ we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us. We offer ourselves. We are joining with Christ in this life of sacrifice, in this life of giving ourselves to others. It says we recognize what's going on and in praise and thanksgiving, we're glad to be a part of this. We've committed ourselves to join Christ in this. We not only receive life or salvation from God through Christ, but we enter into His way of self-giving love when we commit ourselves to be disciples of His. And we say that we remember that every time we come for a communion, that we commit ourselves to be a holy or set apart and living sacrifice for God in this world. So when Jesus talks about feed on me or live in me or abide in me, He's talking about what He believes is the truth about the fullness of life and what God intends for you and me to experience in this life as a follower of Christ. The Gospel of John makes it clear that this God is with us in the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, in the broken times and in the full times. That God is with us through it all. The Gospel proclaims God is with us through it all. That no matter what happens to us, God is with us. No matter what choices we might make, good or bad, as followers of Christ, God is still seeking us and is still coming to us. And Jesus says recognizing that and entering into that is the way to true life. And in fact, is the way to eternal life. But not just eternal life as we normally think about it in terms of after death. In this passage, Jesus is saying eternal life starts as soon as you enter into His way. Did you hear that? In verse 54, He's speaking, Those who eat My flesh and drink My blood have eternal life. He brings it into 
current time, right now, you have eternal life as soon as you begin to follow Him. But then he goes on and says, and I will raise them up on the last day. A reference to resurrection and life after death. So this way of compassion, or as some theologians call it, this way of crucified love or self-giving love, Jesus says is the way to true life. The life that God intends for you. It is the promise of eternal life now and after death. Robert Benson, the fellow I talked about in the beginning of the sermon, has written a number of books. But this book, Living Prayer, has been a great one. I've read it on two or three occasions now where he reflects on life as he reads through the communion liturgy. But in the part that I read to you earlier, right after that, he tells another story. He says it happened in the middle of the night. Once he had already gone to bed and was deep in sleep, and he heard his phone ringing. And he said it was that time of night that when you hear your phone, you just know something has gone wrong. And he answered his phone, and sure enough, it was one of his friends who was in the middle of a crisis and began to tell him how his life was falling apart. The wheels were coming off. The life that he had known was no longer going to be possible. And Benson says, at first, I thought maybe he called me because I write these spiritual books or because I lead spiritual retreats. But he said, the more I talked to him, I realized that wasn't it at all. He says, my friend called me because he knew that I had experienced brokenness in my own life. And so he trusted me in that moment with his brokenness. Benson begins to reflect on how important it is in the life of a community of faith to share our brokenness. How powerful a witness it is to share our own vulnerabilities, our own pain, our own struggles with one another in the community of faith. Benson says he's beginning to think that most, might be the most powerful witness of all. He said certainly it's the most truthful witness one can make to one's faith in God. And he says when we are able to share our own pain with others, it gives them a chance to see the mercies of God at work in real life. It gives them an opportunity to witness the compassion of God healing somebody else. And he says then when they come to their own dark times, and their times where they have lost hope, maybe because of that witness they can see that there is hope. There is hope of healing in another's life. Even Marie and I were talking just before we came in today. She was sharing how in some of her experiences, indeed it's those times of brokenness where she's been with other people who are all struggling that she's felt the presence of God most powerfully. Where she's felt her faith most alive. So often... We try to avoid our pain and our brokenness. We come to church with a facade as if everything is all right. And yet we know that all of us carry brokenness 
All of us experience woundedness throughout our lives. We know our lives go up and down. Every day is not a great day. But Benson points out how important it is to be there for one another in those experiences where we are struggling. I want to read you just a couple of sentences about this very thing as he wrote to close that chapter. He writes these words. To avoid one's brokenness is to turn one's back on the possibility that the healer, healer with a capital H, that the healer might be at work here, perhaps for you, perhaps for another. To avoid one's brokenness is to turn one's back on another, one for whom you just might be the Christ. One for whom you might, even just for a moment, become the body and blood. Amen. And thanks be to God.